so great to see you here today. My name is Michael and I serve with our creative team. And I'm Kelly and I serve in women's ministries and maturing adults. Kelly, one thing when I'm new at a church, I feel like everywhere I go, it's, hi, I'm Michael, this is where I work. Yeah, it's my first time here. Hi, I'm Michael, this is where I work. Yeah, it's my first time here. What are some better questions to ask when you're meeting somebody new? I don't know if it's better, Michael, but I moved here in my 20s and I always could find it easy to talk about where I was from. So I tend to ask people, are you from around here? Where are you from? And it opens up a lot of possibilities for conversation. Where are you from? I am from Southern Indiana. Oh, okay, wonderful. One question I like to ask is, what's something you're excited about this weekend? I feel like Ooh. it helps you get to understand what they're interested in, mm -hmm. what excites them, and also you can follow up with them next week. How was that thing? I love that question much better. Well, one other great way to connect around here if you're new is the monthly growth track. Today, during our 1030 service, we have step one of our monthly growth track. The growth track is designed to help you grow in a relationship with God and get connected at the church. At the Growth Track, you can meet a pastor, ask some questions, and find out some more about what's available here. You can register and get more details at wheatonbible.org slash next steps. Great. And upcoming tomorrow is our baptism preparation class. Baptism is a public display of our personal decision to follow Jesus Christ. If you've decided to follow Jesus and haven't yet taken the next step of baptism, join us for the baptism preparation class and sign up to be baptized. To register or get more information, visit wheatonbible.org slash next steps. Well, that's all we have for you today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Go out and ask somebody, hey, what are you excited about this week? Or ask them where they're from. Bye. Good morning, Wheaton Bible Church. You stand with us, let's sing together. Welcome to those joining us online. Worship with us, let's lift up the name of Jesus. I don't know how you're doing this morning, but hear this, God is for you. God is for you, God is for us, and if he is for us, who can be against us? How good it is to be the church, to be his people. So let's lift our voice and worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Let's sing.
we sing, I've seen it, I've seen it. Every time, his faithfulness. Say it with me. I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it every time. I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it every your faith, Lord, your faith, your faith, yes, your faith, even when I cannot see it, your faith. Your faith, your faithful every time. Yes, you are. Even in times when we cannot see it, you are faithful. You are always working for the good of those who love you. And with Jonah, in times of distress, we cry out. We pray his prayer. Listen to the words of the prophet Jonah, chapter 2, verses 2 to 6. Make this your prayer. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And life feels that way many times. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Brothers and sisters, friends, let's pray in faith, even in the midst of affliction, of distress, of difficult circumstances, in faith and by faith, that God will walk with us through the valley. He will deliver us in time. Lord, grant us the faith and the strength to see you at work, even when we can't see with our eyes, when there is no possible way, like we just sang, you will make a way. We've seen it many times and we will see it time and time again. And so we lift our praise to you. We will, even when we cannot see yet. I count on one thing, the same God that never fails would not fail me now. You won't fail me. God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I 
Acknowledging, Lord, that we want to trust you more. Lord, it is in our struggles that we forget who you are. It is when we feel lonely that we forget that you're present. It is when we struggle with pain that we forget that you're powerful. It is when we are being persecuted that we forget 
that you never will never walk away from us. It is when we have sinned, Lord, that we forget that you're a God of grace and a God of mercy. It is when we allow our sin to take off hold of our hearts that we forget that you are our God. Lord, we want to trust you more. We just confess with our mouths and Lord, allow us to believe in our hearts that we want to trust you more. Lord, and we understand that this is the work of the Spirit, that this is not something that we could do by ourselves, but it's the Spirit influencing our minds, our hearts, and will. Please allow us to trust you more. Lord, I, I don't know what the congregation is going through. I don't know what my brothers and sisters have gone through this week. But what I do know that in the midst of any storm we experience, in the, in the midst of every struggle we go through, what we need the most is to trust you more. It's to trust that you're good. It's to trust that you're powerful. It's to trust that you're sovereign. It's to trust that you're present. It's to trust that you know everything, you know it all. And to trust, Lord, that you have a plan. To trust you, Lord, that you are a redeemer. Help us, Lord, trust you more. Help us, Lord, trust you more. Because you already showed us that you care. Because that's the reason why you sent Jesus to the cross. Please make it happen. Please, Lord, make it happen. And we pray for all of these in the name of Jesus. And the church says, you may take a seat. If you have been part of the church for a while, you know that uh, when we talk about giving and offering and tithing, we don't just talk about something religious that you have to do. We never say that you got to give money to the church because you have to. We never say that you got to be generous because you, tr you need to buy God's love. If you have been part of the church, you have heard us say time and time again that the reason why we want to be generous is because we have a generous God. The reason why we want to give is because it's an act of adoration, but today I want to show you one more thing. Why, why is it that we ought to give and support the church financially and the ministries financially? Because of what the Lord does with your money. And because this is the reason why we exist. To bring and extend the kingdom of God. To bring heaven to earth. So I want to invite you to participate and to worship the Lord through your offerings. And as a church, you can do it in two different ways. You could go to our website, withbible.org slash give. Uh, you could give and actually set it automatically so it comes out of your account. That's how I do it so I don't, have, so I don't forget and there's no excuses. It just comes out, right? But the second option for those of you that might like this is at the end of the services, by the doors, you find these boxes. That's where you could put your millions and millions as you exit the building. All right? Now, words are good, but sometimes words need images and stories to back them up. So I want to share with you this video because I want you to see what the Lord is doing when you worship the Lord through giving. Please. Turkana County in remote northern Kenya is one of the hottest, driest regions in the world. And year over year, decreased amounts of rainfall have put residents at risk of starvation due to drought and famine. And many residents have lost all of their livestock and malnutrition is rampant. 
It was because of this great vulnerability that 10 years ago, Wheaton Bible Church joined with World Relief and Nairobi's Parklands Baptist Church for relief and development work in this remote area to ensure that intertwined with spreading the gospel and partnering with the local church, these material needs could be met. So I have a, a fun recent story for you from a village in North Turkana where goats, yes, you heard that right, goats are bringing hope to an entire community. In 2019, our partner World Relief gave this community 20 female gala goat crossbreeds. Gala goats are drought resistant, they're specialized, and they're actually sometimes called super goats. It was part of a project known as Share the Gift, and here's how it worked. So in this village, each person received one of the first 20 goats and committed to gifting the first female offspring from their goat to another equally vulnerable person in the community. Each person who received a goat would also commit to gifting the next first female goat offspring to another person. So this gift keeps multiplying throughout the village. And this is what is happening because by late 2020, the initial 20 goats had produced offspring and their owners stayed true to their commitment and are gifting their first female offspring to others. And so households that have received uh, a gala goat are enjoying the increased milk production, which has positively impacted nutrition, particularly among young children, pregnant women, and nursing mothers. Now church, this is only a tiny slice of our Hope Kenya initiative and all that God is doing in Kenya, made possible by your giving and prayers. But this is a beautiful example of how God can take something small and multiply it through his people, through his church, and in Jesus' name to bring hope, life, and transformation. And so thank you, church, for your continued prayers and generosity. After running away from God's mission and finding himself in the belly of a fish, Jonah cried out to God for help. Jonah recognized that he had been driven from God's presence and that his prayers had been answered when the fish saved him from drowning. Jonah praised God for saving him. All right, now you can respond to the Lord in adoration, giving him thanks for everything that he's doing. Not just in our country, but in different parts of the world. So I just want to say it again. Thank you, thank you for those of you that support the church financially. We know that you're not doing it just for the church, but you're doing it for the kingdom. And if you're not part of that, I want to invite you to join what the Lord is already doing. Amen? All right, now, good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. For those of you that don't know me, one of the teaching pastors here at church. And I wanted to welcome all of you that are here on campus. Welcome all of you that are worshiping with us online. It is so nice for us to see you face-to-face, -face, and I look forward to the time in which I can actually get to see face-to-face -face those of you worshiping with us and online. Now, for the last two weeks, actually three weeks today, we have been doing this series based on the book of Jonah, uh, which is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Um, because I don't want to assume that everyone understands what a prophet is in the Bible. I, I want to take a few seconds to explain what a prophet is in the Bible. And why is it that those kind of prophets no longer exist, those type of Old Testament prophets? But what made those prophets unique? And what made Jonah a really bad prophet? 
So a prophet in the Old Testament was someone chosen by God to represent him before people. It was someone chosen by God to speak to God's people on behalf of God. And usually the prophet would say words of confrontation and consolation. And usually uh, we'll call, this was a person used by God to bring people back to God. What's interesting about the book of Jonah and Jonah, this prophet, is that he grew up with this call. Like he knows that this is what he's supposed to do. This is a man that knows God, that has some sort of relationship with God. This is a man that knows the word of God. And yet, when God calls him to prophesy to Nineveh, you could say a pagan city, people without a relationship with God, he does not want to do it, and instead of going toward Nineveh, he walks away from it. The text actually says, if you were here with us before, that he's running from God. He's running from God's call, and he's running from the presence of God. So the question that I'm asking the text today is this. What is it that Jonah needed in order to be transformed to the point that he actually responds, responds to God's call. What is it that, Noda, uh, that, Noda, that Jonah needed to experience in order for him to actually do what God is calling him, calling him to do? And I want to argue that the text we're going to be looking at today says that the very thing that Jonah needed then is the very thing that we need today. Is not just the concept of grace, but the concept of aggressive grace. Let me explain it in these terms. Aggressive grace. So grace, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a definition in a second. Grace is when the Lord does something to you that you don't deserve, and all these things, everything that God does is because of grace. But there are times, though, that we need a little bit more than that. We need actually what I call aggressive grace. As a personal experience, I could say that uh, people, usually I change because of one of these two things. 30% of my life, I change when I hear the word of God. This is part of the reason why we worship as a church. This is the part of the reason why someone like me comes in front of the congregation and preaches the word. Because whenever I'm exposed to the word of God, I'm being transformed by it. That's just hearing. Sometimes... I change because of a time with the Lord in my devotional time, and the Lord speaks to me, and that's enough. Sometimes I need the word of a family member or a friend speaking into my heart, and that's enough. Sometimes somebody says something at one point, and that's enough. But that's only 30% of my life, you know? 70% of, 70 of the rest of my life, I need something different. I mean, it's sad, but I need something different. I need to experience something. I need, listen up, church, pain. I need the aggressive grace of God in my life. Now, I think that all of you are just like me. At least one brother is honest. I think that most of us, because of the sinfulness in our hearts, because of our stubbornness in our hearts, I think that most Christians, 
would like to think that all we need is the Word of God. And I want to argue that most of us, because of our sinful nature, we need the Word of God becoming alive because of the aggressive grace of God. See, I know that God loves me. Sometimes I need pain to actually truly understand that he loves me. See, I know that God is present. Sometimes I, I need more than just knowledge to truly feel that he, that he loves me. I want to invite you to embrace and welcome the aggressive grace of God. You know why? Because there's no way around it. It doesn't matter if you live in the suburbs, people. The aggressive grace of God will get to you. So we need to understand it. We need to learn what to do with it. And we need to know uh, how to embrace it. We, we got to learn how to embrace it. So for that, we're going to be reading John chapter 1, verse 17, all the way to uh, John. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, all the way to Jonah chapter 2, verse 6. I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word as a sign of reverence to him and his word. And I need to know if you're still here. If you're here, can you please say, I'm here? I'm here. Oh, that was beautiful. All right. John, Jonah chapter 2, starting in chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of death I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me, and all and your waves um, and breakers swept over me. Chapter four, verse 4, I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, the seaweed was wrapped around my neck. Verse 6, the root of the mountains I sank, uh, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath Bart me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you use your word to transform us, knowing that we are going to need your word and your spirit when we go through aggressive grace. Speak to us. So we are prepared for it. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, Amen. you may take a seat. Today we're going to talk about then three things. We're going to talk about what aggressive grace is, point number one. We're going to talk about what grace does, this aggressive grace does, point number two, refines. And number three, we're going to see how is it that this grace is not just aggress aggressive and refining, but it's sacrificial. And it's in that sacrifice, in sacrifice that we know that the Lord is actually doing something in our midst. So let's go with point number one, aggressive grace. 
Now, for those of you that are new to the church or actually stepping into the church uh, for the first time, let me give you a little bit of context of what we have been talking about so far. One minute. Listen here. Jonah calls the Lord, the Lord calls Jonah um, to preach basically the gospel to a bunch of people that don't have a relationship with him. We don't know why, but Jonah is struggling with this. There's different ideas that uh, scholars say why is it that Jonas is struggling with this. Maybe he had racial tendencies. Maybe he had personal issues with these people. Maybe he just didn't like them. Maybe he was not merciful enough. We really don't know. All we know is that he's struggling in his heart with this group of people. So instead of going over there, he runs from God and he gets into this boat that is going to Tarshish. Now, I don't know if you not like that name, but that's a perfect name for a sushi plate, right? <laughs> Tarshish, right? Um, he's running away from God, and as he's running away from God, God himself sends this great wind on the sea. It's so and so bad that the sailors started to wonder why is it that they're going through that, and somehow, by God's intervention, they realize that the reason why they're going through all of this is because Jonah is with them, and he's running from God, and he's caught. So they do what any of us would do. You throw the guy overboard, right? <laughs> and as soon as they throw the guy overboard, the, the, the text says that the raging sea grew calm. The first thing that I want you to see, though, here, is that chapter 1, verse 17, which is scholars, some scholars, the reason why we read it today, believe that this actually belongs to chapter 2. And the story begins with Jonah telling us what the Lord did for him when he was thrown overboard. Verse 1 says that the Lord provided a huge fish. Now, how many of you guys um, heard that story at least more than 10 times? Please raise your hand. Me too. What is interesting, though, is that I, that's not a verse that usually people pay attention to. They talk about the fish, but they don't put emphasis in the phrase that says that it was the Lord himself, the one that sent the fish to rescue Jonah. I call this rescuing grace. You know what's interesting about that? That the same God that is pursuing Jonah is the same God that saves Jonah. That the same God that brings the storm is the same God that sends the fish. Everything in the story of Jonah is about grace. Everything in the story about Jonah is the story of grace. Is God executing his grace time and time again. So when the Lord is sending the fish, it was not an accident it was not something just that happened to be a coincidence that, you know, thing was swimming over there and jumped and, oop, they, it, nothing like that. It was the Lord in his sovereignty, goodness, and grace putting the fish there. Why? Once again, because this is what a God of grace does. So let me give you a definition of what grace is. This is by Tim Keller, and this is what he says. Grace is favor granted to an underserving person by an unobligated giver. Notice that. God didn't have to do this. God wanted to do this. Grace, grace is being led into a place you don't deserve to be led into. 
by a person who is not obligated to let you be in there either. He calls this cosmic hospitality. It's a beautiful phrase. Tim Keller says that grace is God taking the initiative. Is God inviting? Is God bringing? Is God rescuing? Is God doing everything that you don't want to do? Is God inviting you into his presence even when, and especially because you don't deserve it? That's what grace is. Rescuing grace. I think that most of us here or worshiping at home, we all like that. I, I'm yet to find a person that says, I don't like that definition of grace. We all love that. What we don't like, though, is what happened between the boat and the fish. See, I don't, I don't know if you, I, I asked you how many of you guys read this story, you heard this story at least more than 10 times. I'm 90% of the group present here raised their hand. Actually, I go back and I think about the first time that I think so a visual about this story. And let's say if my experience is similar to your experience, what I remember all the way maybe in third grade is this cartoon or picture that was done in which you have the boat, you have the boat and then you got Jonah, tiny little Jonah being thrown overboard. So it's like, like this, right? And right next to the boat, you got the picture of a huge whale. Which, if you notice, that's probably not a well, it's just a huge fish, right? But you got the huge well, and Jonah is like, like, like this. You guys ever seen that? How many of you guys got that picture in mind? Most of us. You know what's interesting, though? Number one, it's super cute. <laughs> Number two, it's not biblical. The assumption is that the sailors throw Jonah overboard... And the fish comes and swallows him up. But that is not what the Bible says. That's an assumption. What the Bible is about to show you is that God was dealing with Jonah by allowing him to get into the water and almost drown. And that, my brothers and sisters, is aggressive grace. How do I know that? I'm glad you ask. Because in chapter 2, verse 1, notice that it says that it's from within the fish that Jonah prayed. And if you, as we're going to move forward in a second, you're going to see that this prayer is a prayer of thanksgiving. It is not Jonah praying to be rescued. It is not Jonah praying to be saved. It is not Jonah asking the Lord to take him out of the fish, which is super interesting. I would. Lord, this stinks. Get me out. But that's not Jonah. In this prayer, he's remembering what the Lord already did in him and for him. You know what I find interesting about this prayer, though? That this is the first time that Jonah prayed in the entire narrative. This is the first time Jonah the prophet, chosen by God, prays to his God. He did not pray when God called him to go to Nineveh. He did not pray when he was running away. 
He did not pray when he was in the middle of the storm. He did not pray when he's about to be thrown into the sea. He prays when he's in the midst of his mess and when he's about to drown because the Lord in his aggressive grace had to take him there. You know why? Because his lack of prayer actually tells us something about him. See, it is only when we pray that we're confessing that we need God. It is only when we pray that we are saying to God, you need to do this thing that I cannot do. It is only when we pray that we're recognizing that he's powerful and we are not. It is only when we pray that we are speaking to the one that can do something and want, do some, and want to do something because I can't do it by myself. This is the aggressive grace of God taking Jonah to the point in which he needs to pray. Did you know that every time we don't pray is because in our hearts we are full of pride and self-sufficiency? That's the problem with a Christian that doesn't know how to pray. And once again, this is the Lord's doing taking Jonah to a place in which he needed to recognize that God is God and he was not. Now, what Jonah's going to show us right now is what he went through when he was swimming for his life. And I know that because when he speaks, he speaks in past Look at verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep of the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Pay attention that he's not praying present tense. He's remembering something that already happened. And notice the, the, the words that he used to describe the reality of his life when he's swimming for his life. The word distress there can be translated as the word anguish or anxiety or need. And what Jonah is saying is that the Lord took him to a place in which he needed. He was so desperate, so much in distress, experiencing so much anguish and anxiety that he had to call the Lord. Aggressive grace. He describes his experience as the realm or as, as him feeling the realm of the dead. That's the word sheol in the, in the original text. Actually, in the Old Testament, that word appears more than 60 times. And every time it appears in the Old Testament is to describe the experience of a person that feels that Satan is in control and the presence of God is not perceived. And Jonah says, in the midst of my distress, I felt that, the, that Satan was present and God was absent. The Lord took him there. That's what aggressive grace is. The Lord will take you there. And the Lord will take me there. Because there are things that I just don't learn with words. But I need those words to be backed up 
by a real experience. Somebody might be saying here, well, I think, Hannibal, I think that that's an assumption. See, I could see that the Lord provided the fish, but how do you know that the Lord was doing that to Jonah? How do you know that it was not just his own sin? Have you heard anybody say when you suffer, that's because of your own sin? Maybe. But if God is sovereign and God is in control, he is behind everything that happens in this creation. What is interesting, though, here is that we don't have to guess. Jonah tells us that it was the Lord that put him there. Look at what it says in verse 3. You did this to me. You threw me into the depths. You sent me here. Interesting, because we know in the story that it was the sailors, the ones that did it. But if you believe in the sovereignty of God, because the text tells you behind that, that the sailors were just agents and God executing what he wanted to execute. Listen up, church. It's in the midst of Jonah fighting for his life as he's drowning that he finally realized that he cannot run away from God, that he needed God, that he needs to call to God, because without it, probably, probably, Jonah would have never changed. Aggressive grace. Did you know that there's a whole group of Christians and non-believers that really struggle with this? Actually, I've heard Christians saying, well, this is one of the reasons why I don't believe in Christianity. How could a God of love ever do that to his people? How could a God of love ever act in anger toward his people? Why would a God of love allow or bring something like that to poor, innocent, tiny little Jonah? So hear me out. I think that if that is your position, you don't understand the love of God just yet. It is because God is love that he experiences anger. It is because God is a God of love that he did what he did to Jonah. Let me, let me explain it this way. How many of you guys are parents? Raise your hand. What do you feel when your kids are doing something that can ruin their lives? Do you go, oh, that's nice. Do you do that? Do you actually look at them and say, don't worry, baby, that shall, that shall pass? Do you actually go to your kid and say, well, you know what, just let it be. You're going to learn by experience. Do you do that? This is what I feel when I see my daughters struggling like that. This is what I see when my wife is struggling like that. This is what I feel when the church is struggling like that. This is what I feel when my friends struggle like that. This is what my friends feel when I struggle like that. Anger. The very, the very thing that they're doing is the very thing that is going to destroy them. It's holy anger because I love them. The opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is indifference. You know, the only kind of parent that would actually look at their kids and let them be are the monster parents. If you truly love, 
you step in to try to rescue, even if it hurts. If I do that as a sinner, what do you think God would do if he's sinless? Listen to uh, the theologian uh, Michael Reeves. This is a theologian that we have been reading here at church uh, and the staff. This is what he says. God is angry at evil because he loves. Because it is not that God is naturally angry, but that evil provokes him. In his pure love, God cannot tolerate evil. Love cares. And that means he cannot be indifferent to evil. God loves his children and so hates their being oppressed. He loves his world and also hates all evil in it. Thus is his love. He roots out sin in his people. Even disciplining them that they might be freed from their captivity. Do you know why is it that aggressive grace is so important? Because the love of God is very important. In my time as a Christian, I have to say, I really don't enjoy aggressive grace. If anything, if I could be completely honest, I hate it. Because sometimes I think that, if God, if you just tell me, I will do it. That's not true. But I've learned to appreciate it, and I've learned to welcome it. Why? Because behind the aggressive grace of God, there's always the, grace, the aggressive love of God. I'm not telling you that you got to pray for the Lord to bring aggressive grace upon your life. But what I'm telling you, though, one is that there's no way around it. And two, that that aggressive grace is still grace. And it's still good. Amen? Amen. The question then, we got to wrestle then, is... What is it that we ought to do if this is what the Lord is going to bring? Well, point number two. Let's talk about refining grace. So my wife and I just took a few days off because we just turned 20 years of marriage by God's grace, right? Thank you, thank you, thank you. And usually when we're going to do stuff like that, what we do is we walk away from anybody and anything that makes us feel tired. So we walk away from our daughters, right? And we walk away from our friends and we walk away from work and everything. We took a couple of days, but one of the things that we do uh, during those couple of days because we are productive people is we, we watch a lot of TV, right? <laughs> and, and we watched this show this, this week, it was super interesting, about this lady that is an expert in organizing things and putting things together. Um, and once again, because we're productive people, we watch three of those shows in a row, right? <laughs> And, and, and it was interesting because as she's trying to help these people, she's got two conditions. She's got to do two things with these people. Number one is she's got to say uh, they, the, the person needs to acknowledge that they're desperate. Like the person really needs to get to a place in which the person needs to say, this is a mess. I need help from outside. And the second thing that everyone had in common is that they had to be honest about their struggles. Like, really, really, it's not that I like to collect things, it's that I, I'm a hoarder. Right, so this dual thing, it was so interesting in every single one of those shows. They have to recognize that they needed help, and they had to recognize, and, and, and the help had to come from outside, but they also had to recognize that they, they struggled. 
Interesting as I'm preparing for this sermon, that's exactly what Jonah did. In the midst of this aggressive grace, this is exactly what Jonah does. He does this dual thing all the time. Actually, you're going to see it three times in the, in the text. He, at one end, he recognizes how much he struggles, and on the other end, he cries out for help. At one end, he recognizes that he's a sinful person, and on the other end, he looks at God. So the way he does it is he first looks in and then looks up. And I want to invite you that when the Lord sends aggressive grace to your life, you do exactly the same thing. Because that's how you change. That's how you get refined. You look in and you look up. Look at the first time that he does it in verse 2. Well, he talks about the realm of the dead. I told you that in the Old Testament, this is a place in which Satan is in control and the presence of God is not perceived. What I did not tell you is that also in the New Testament, this place is the place of divine punishment. So what uh, Jonah is saying here, in the midst of his, him struggling with his life, he's actually telling the Lord, I deserve what I got. No excuses, no blame shifting, no justification, pure honesty. I'm a sinful person that deserves what I'm getting. I, I don't know a lot of Christians that say that. You got to call your sin, sin. But at the same time, so Jonah doesn't stop there, stop there, but at the same time, he looks up. And look at what he says. I called for help, and you listened to my cry. See, on one end, he recognizes that, he, that he's more depraved, if you will, than what he expected. And on the other end, he still remembers that the one that can help him is God. He does it again in verse 4. He says, I have been banished. The word banished there is the word that the Old Testament uses for judgment. He's saying on one end, I do deserve everything that I'm getting because I'm a sinful person. But at the same time, he says, yet I will look again to your holy temple. And I find this verse amazing. And we're going to get back to that in about two hours. Um, this is what he does. In the midst of his struggle, in the midst of him recognizing that he's sinful and he deserves to be there, he remembers the temple. And the temple is significant because it's the place where you find what, something in the Old Testament called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was a place where, uh, where not only the law of God was right underneath, but on top, the mercy seat was sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifices done for the forgiveness of sin. Super interesting. On one end, he says, I'm a sinful person. And on the, end, on the other end, he says, yes, Lord, but there has been a sacrifice for my forgiveness. And he does it again in verse 6 when he says um, that he describes himself as someone that is, a that is a slave. That he's barred forever. This is him confessing not only that he deserves the punishment of God and the judgment of God but that he's a slave to his sin. You know, we modern Christians, we usually don't say that. 
We call it a struggle. We call it tendencies. Jonah calls it slave to my sin. And at the same time, he looks up. Mm. Do I get that? Yeah. He says, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Can you see it? Listen, in this room, there's three types of people. People online, there's only three types of people. The ones that see their sin and think that there's no way out. And you live in guilt, guilt, condemnation, and sin. This is the type of people that magnify sin to such a degree that they don't think that they can be rescued. The second type of people is the ones that magnify the grace and the mercy of God. But they do it in such a crooked way that they think that because God is a God of mercy and God of grace, they don't have to worry about sin. They turn grace into cheap grace. But this is our third group of people, and I'm praying that that's most of us. That at the same time we can see the reality of our sin, while we also look up and say the God of restoration and forgiveness and mercy and grace at the same time. So question for you is this. How do we know that the God of aggressive grace is going to get us to a place in which he's going to refine us to the point that we actually learn from our experience? How do we know that when we go through pain here, God is going to take us here? Well, point number three is when you understand also that grace is not only aggressive and grace is not only refining, but grace is sacrificial. You remember what Jonah prayed in verse 4? Do you remember the temple? See, Jonah had a concept, but we have something better than a concept. We have a person. The reason why we know that the Lord is not going to leave us behind the reason why we know that in the midst of aggressive grace, God is not punishing us, but he's refining us. The reason why we know that the Lord allows all these things into our lives and brings all these things into our lives is not because he hates us, but because he loves us. How do I know that? Because we have something better than a temple. We have the new temple, Jesus Christ. The temple that was also not just the temple, but the sacrifice. You know that as Christians, we're not just sprinkled with blood to be forgiven. Did you know that as Christians, we have been bathed with the blood of Jesus Christ, covered by the blood of Jesus Christ? So even in the midst of the storm, even inside the fish, we're still good. We're still good. This is the only way we confront aggressive grace. I know that my Lord is for me because the lamb was sacrificed and the new temple already came. Jesus Christ, I'm being crucified. This is why I want to deal with my sin and recognize it and call it as it is because I have the new temple and the lamb has been sacrificed. This is why I don't lose hope in the midst of pain. 
Because we have the new temple and the lamb has been sacrificed. This is how I confront life and this is how I get refined and grow. Because we got something better than what Jonah had. We have Jesus and him crucified. So next time you go through aggressive grace, remember that. Welcome. Don't enjoy it. I mean, if you enjoy it, there's something wrong with you. But welcome it and let the Lord use it to refine you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, I know, Lord, that aggressive grace is just painful. I know, Lord, that none of us would actually choose that. And, Lord, I don't think that we have to choose that. Lord, but I, help, that I pray, Lord, that you help us. That as we go through everything that we go in life, Lord, we may see your grace behind it. And we respond to that the way we're supposed to. By looking in and looking up. Lord, it will be unholy of you to see me in my sin and not do anything. I thank you, Lord. I, I don't thank you, Lord, for what the pain makes me feel, but I thank you, Lord, but because in that pain, you use that pain to refine me and refine us. I pray, Lord, that you help us see the beauty and the grace and the love behind everything you bring. I pray, Lord, that today we may be able to see behind aggressive grace, aggressive love. And I pray, Lord, that as we go through that, we cling to the one that died and resurrected on our behalf. The ultimate temple, the new temple, the God of the covenant, the sacrificed lamb. Because that's my guarantee that you stick with me even when I don't stick with you. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says... You served a sacrifice of love, holy, holy, holy. I want to see the glory of all that you are and all that you've done. Jesus, the
Love can change me. Help me remember. Isn't that what we do in communion? See, part of the reason in why we celebrate communion is because we have to do the very thing that Jonah did. We have to look in, we have to see and confess the reality of our sinful heart. And at the same time, we look up and we see what Jesus already did on our behalf.
we are changed by remembering the love of Christ. So if you are a Christian, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you truly believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there's no other way to the Father except through him, communion is for you. And the Bible calls us to examine our hearts before partaking. And I want to give you a few seconds for you to look in. And if there's anything that you need to repent of, if there's anything that you need to surrender, do it before we participate. going to invite you to remove the first cover of your cup if you haven't done so yet and the bible says that in the night when jesus he was be, he was betrayed he took the bread and after uh, having given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. We may take the bread. Now you can remove the second cover if you want. And the Bible says that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Lord, we pray that just as these elements enter into our hearts, into our bodies, the reality of what you already did for us enter into our hearts. That we still recognize, Lord, that we struggle with sin. But at the same time, we recognize what you already did for us and in us. Please help us, Lord, live in light of who we are already in Jesus. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And the church says, if you please stand, I'm going to respond to the Lord in adoration. We come to the table Invited by the one who is faithful Who gave his life for us And we are broken But through the body and the blood We're made Sin is forgiven by this act of perfect love, and we are welcomed. We are whole, we are enough because of Jesus. We will remember what He's done. How wonderful. 
services a couple of things for you number one i want to remind you that as a staff every tuesday we gather as a as a team to pray for your needs so if you have needs in your life spiritual needs in your life whatever need you have please let us know we would love to pray for you just let us know the second thing that i want you to remember before uh, finishing our service is a couple of dates all right the first date is august 29th uh, we are planning on august 29th to go back to our pre-covid service times meaning that we're going to have a service at 9 in the morning and 10 30 in the morning 
Uh, so please pray for that. The second date that I want you to keep in mind is October 3rd. And on October 3rd, we're going to go back to our pre-COVID uh, 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 worship experience in which the traditional service is going to be in the east, two services, and contemporary service is going to be here in the west, two services. Now, the reason why I want you to keep that in mind is because in order for us to go back to quote-unquote normal, we need ministry partners. We need your gifts. We need you to volunteer. We need you to serve. We need you to put your talents at work for the glory of God and the well-being of others. Amen. If you said amen, you better use it. Please consider, this is about the kingdom, his glory, and the joy of people. Let's receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us at the cross. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face through you and give you peace. And the church says, amen. thanks for coming. We love you, church. You are sent. Have a blessed day.